Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to ADHD for Smartass Women. Before I introduce our guest, I just wanted to remind you that if you're interested in joining me for my free five-day workshop called How to Fall in Love with Your ADHD Brain, you may join the waitlist at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash I love my brain. That is all one word. So onward and upward. Let's get started with episode number 110 of ADHD for Smartass Women. In this episode, I am going to introduce you to a real smartass. Her name is Dr. Amy Kane. She is a molecular biologist who uses genomics to study deadly antibiotic-resistant bacteria. She completed both her undergraduate degree in biochemistry, graduating with first-class honors, and then her PhD in microbiology at the University of Sydney, Australia. After PhD submission, she moved to Cambridge, UK, for a postdoctoral research fellowship at the Wellcome Sanger Institute. This is where they first sequenced the human genome. I have no idea what that means, but we'll ask Amy. And she was awarded a prestigious fellowship at the University of Cambridge. Dr. Kane then moved to Malawi in sub-Saharan Africa to track outbreaks in hospitals employed by the Wellcome Trust Charity. Next, she took up a competitive research fellowship at Vertex Pharmaceuticals between Oxford, UK and Boston in the United States, developing new drugs for kidney disease. Since 2018, she has been a senior lecturer assistant professor at Macquarie University, Sydney, having received a number of grants to develop new antibiotics and study antibiotic resistance, setting up her research group across three different labs. She's also deputy director of the JAMS organization, a microbiology society that runs over five countries, and she has just started a podcast called JAMS Pod to spread microbiology knowledge far and wide. Dr. Kane loves traveling, having visited 70-odd countries so far, scuba diving, live music, and cooking. Amy, welcome. Did I get all that right? Yes, yes. Although I realized that was quite long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So this is my question. My first question for you. When you hear all that, what are you thinking? Yeah, I was just thinking, it sounds like, it does sound like I have ADHD just from my career path. And the things I've done, yeah, I do move around a lot. When you listen to all that, are you like, well, of course I did all that. You know, that's just who I am. Or does it give you pause? Are you like, oh my gosh, I really did all that? Yeah, exactly. I actually listen to it and I think like, oh yeah, it's more like out of interest that I did each of those things. I wasn't like, I'm going to go to the University of Cambridge now. I was like, oh, I wonder what happens if I do that. So everything has been happy accidents and sort of fortuitous like experiences that have happened to me. But yeah, listening to it all, it sounds like I've done a lot. (laughs) You have. 
at, at a young age too. So Amy and I, just so our listeners know, we've been chatting for a couple months now. And I don't know about you all, but if I want to remember things, in this case, like how I met someone, I can't go to my brain because I'll never remember. So what I have to do is I have to get into my body and connect to how I was feeling. And then from there, I'm able to remember where I was. And then the memories just flood back in. And I remember Amy running around FIDI in New York City, the financial district, on my phone, audio chatting with you last fall. So my son was starting his freshman year at university in uh, New York City, and we had to quarantine for 14 days. And so even though we don't share the same brain, definitely not science, like I'd starve to death, right? If that was my area that I had to make a living in. I just remember running around New York City thinking, well, I wasn't really running around, right? I was quarantined. So I was like, you know, we were able to, I think, you know, just go out for walks kind of thing. But I did that a lot because, you know, being in an apartment for that long will drive you nuts. But I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this woman sounds so interesting and so fun. And I have to have her on this podcast. You are exactly what ADHD for smart ass women is all about. <laughs> so I want to hear obviously about all the things you do because there's so much. But I'd love to talk about your ADHD diagnoses first. Is that okay? Yeah, that's a good place to start. So I only got diagnosed uh, like, actually, I like had to check the date on my computer because I don't even know what month it is. Like this gives you an idea of like how much I rely on my tools. But uh, yeah, so I think I got diagnosed about three months ago, three or four months ago. And it was actually because, um, well, one of the reasons was because we were chatting and also just sort of I'd uh I have a couple of friends that have ADHD women and I was talking to them and and sort of some of the experiences that they shared with me that I thought were completely unique and sort of I guess that was that scientific logic to me that if you have something that's unexplained and you share that with someone else that has a certain trait you must sort of have it so I was pretty sure that I had ADHD and then I went to see the psychiatrist um and yeah he just said oh you're sort of classic high functioning ADHD <laughs> yeah so but in Australia we don't have the sort of more extended diagnosis that you guys seem to have in the US and I was just recently given Ritalin to try for the first time and that's been an interesting journey and I think next time I go back I'll try some other uh medications so yeah so I'm a recent I'm a newbie I guess. So did Ritalin not work? It has actually. It's it's quite interesting. I noticed the biggest effect it had um, was on my emotions. I don't know if anyone else has had that. I told the psychiatrist that and he was like, that couldn't be right. But I don't know. That's For me, it was the, just like I've got the same feeling as when I can, I have to like wrangle my brain to focus. I got that like immediately, which I really liked. But the thing that was weird that I started feeling emotions more strongly Anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there because I was interested if anyone else had that experience. I've heard that. Mm. I've heard that before. Um, I've heard both ways where you feel your emotions more strongly. And I've also heard that it kind of calms the emotions, which mm. I, I thought I read it's not supposed to do. But for I just think with women especially, we're just affected differently. All of our brains are unique. So yeah, and our hormones. There is no one standard way. Yeah, the more I've been listening, the more people have been talking about periods and menopause and things like that. So I guess it also depends on the time of the month. But normally I'm very, very sort of calm and stable in my emotions. And then I found it's been made me a bit more um, <laughs> unpredictable. Mm. <laughs> so what made you even consider that it was ADHD? Like what was the first time that you thought, oh, my gosh, maybe it's ADHD? Like what was going on? Yeah, so I've always thought that I had it, even when I was a little kid. So yeah, I was just like super hyperactive. How did you know was, about it though? It was sort of a running joke in my family. Like my mom would just say, oh, you've got ADHD as a joke or ADD then. And also my cousin mm -hmm. had it. So my only, the only male, we have a very female heavy family and the only male that has that is on my mother's side um he got diagnosed 
And um, I remember when he got diagnosed, I laughed. Me and my mom both laughed. And she was like, if anyone has it, you have it. And I was like, yeah, but it's gone now. Like I'm past my, I kind of learned how to control it. And so, um, yeah, it seemed like there was no point. But then when I started thinking about it and talking to my friends that um, have ADHD, and actually one of my students as well has it, I realized that it is still affecting me now in my everyday life um, as an adult. So I thought, yeah, just like any medical um, thing, you want to go check it out and learn about it. And then I got absolutely obsessed with learning about it. And um, But I, I got to tell you, so I was when I first started doing research on it, um, I pulled out, I love podcasts, um, as I'm sure you do too. And uh, I pulled out ADHD podcasts and when I started listening, I listened to quite a few and um, I have to say that the male, <laughs> the ones that are maybe, the, I don't know, the sort of standard ones, they just, it didn't resonate with me. And I, I thought, oh, maybe I sort of don't, you know, and then I actually thought, oh, maybe I, I kind of had heard that it had been sort of had manifested differently in females. So I found yours. And then as soon as I heard the first one I heard, I remember this, I was driving my car and it was Helena Hills, that one. And I like listened to it. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. like, she's amazing. But also just like, oh my God, that, that is my life as well. Oh my God. And just like pulling, I almost pulled over. Like I was like having a, one of those like light bulb moments in the car, just like, oh yeah, that's me. Definitely. I have it. I think the other thing is that with my friends, so one of my friends, she's um, inattentive and the other one, she forgets things all the time. And I didn't have either of those things, not terribly badly. And mine's more sort of hyperactive. Like you can see, I, I can't stay in one place for for very long. And so I just thought, well, maybe it's something else. Maybe I just, it's my personality. But the more I heard these stories of these, the women that you've been interviewing, I was like, yep, totally get it. So once you knew it was ADHD, for sure, and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly ADHD? Yeah, so actually, funnily enough, so I moved back to Australia a couple of years ago. I I hadn't been here for maybe eight years. And uh, I just thought it was weird that I I had this incessant need to travel. I just got really unhappy if I was in a place for more than a year or two. And at first I embraced that. I didn't think anything of it. And then I looked at my patterns and realized that I was moving around. I I think when I got back to Australia, I'd, I'd done taxes my last five tax returns I'd done over two countries at least. And I was like, that's just crazy. So (laughs) I made a pact to stay here for at least five years and try and be happy being in one place. And it's actually been one of the biggest challenges. So that's definitely one of them. The other one is just like this insane energy that I have that I need to like release. So my parents always used to tell me when I was little, I'm burning the candle at both ends. It's not healthy, but in hindsight, like I just used to do a lot of stuff because I also do a lot of sport. Um, I love, you know, friends and socializing and I'm always doing multiple things. Even one night I'll try and go to maybe two different functions or whatever. And I realized it was just because I had this excess energy that I was trying to burn out. What else? I interrupt people. Even I find it hard to listen to lectures, even though I lecture. Um, I find it hard to listen to other people's lectures. Um, I much prefer <laughs> I much prefer talking to people or um, sort of reading textbooks and things at my own pace or things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. I freaking hate I hate mundane tasks like cleaning. I think I, we discussed this. I have a cleaner actually. She's coming um, later today, um, and just sort of. <laughs> everyday life I find very difficult and some things that I think other people find difficult I find naturally easy yeah so I never understood that like why do I find it so hard like and um actually I Ned Hallowell who you had on um a few episodes ago he was saying that people with ADHD have object object permanence or issues with that and um which means that you need to keep all of the things that you have out in the open so you can see them all because when you put them away, you forget about them. And I totally get that. Like, I'm just looking around my room right now and it's just like covered in things, but I know where everything is, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's kind of about uh, all of those symptoms. Yeah. So it seems like we have that, right? But we really don't. So you talked about 
your difficulty with sitting and listening to lectures. How the heck did you get through all this school? Oh, yeah. So I don't know if you wanted to go all the way back, but like sort of starting from my childhood, like in, prim- in primary school. Um, I don't know what you call that, like the first school. Yes. Um, that, yes. That, we call I it elementary school here. Yeah, I literally, I, I don't think I've found anyone else that has this, or I hope maybe someone out there might have this as well. But I used to feel actual pain. Like I was a very well-behaved, well, pretty well-behaved kid. Like I just used to sort of check out. I learned to like look at the teacher's forehead and think about my own things and but pretend I was listening. But I had so much trouble sitting that it used to get actual pain on my legs. Like it felt like it was burning because I just wanted to run around and like, and I hated sitting there. But I learned to just like internalize it and sort of, yeah. And then when I got older, like just again, didn't pay attention. So can I ask you, Mm. Amy, were you disruptive or were you able to behave in school even though you felt this actual pain sitting, which I have heard before, by the way? Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought someone out there would have it. So yeah, I I was pretty well behaved. I think if anything, people would call me spacey, I guess. Um, Not just because I wouldn't pay attention and I would just be thinking about my own things or I'd be like waiting for lunch or um, trying to, I, I would talk to friends and pass notes. I'd draw a lot, but I don't think I was, I wasn't disruptive. I definitely wasn't a, I, I was also very shy. And so I didn't want people to look at me. Ah. So yeah. So going from that and then, well, yeah, like you said, I've done a, probably <laughs> yeah, a lot of study, but um, I would just not, so like in high school, for example, again, I just wouldn't really listen. I'd just be thinking my own things and then just read read textbooks or talk to my friends or whatever. I just wouldn't wouldn't actually pay attention. And same with lectures. I just didn't when I didn't have to go to lectures in university, like in undergrad, I just wouldn't. Like I would go to no lectures and then just read the textbook the night before or talk to my friends like and get them to explain things to me. <laughs> So you were able to basically just teach yourself then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and when I was doing that, so like in the first and second years of my undergrad, like when I first got to uni, I really didn't, I don't know, I was just more excited. I just moved out of home. Like I was, I also went to a very, a a girls' school, high school. So like it was the first time I'd been around boys. Oh my, I I like just went nuts, absolutely (laughs) nuts. And so I was just like scraping by because I was, I, and because I, there's too many important things to do than go to lectures. Or if I did go to lectures, it was just to sit near a boy or like talk to my friends or whatever. And then I would just learn it all the night before. Actually, and also teachers used to put up lecture notes. That's right. And so I'd go through the lecture notes and sort of, mm. just sort of learn it. Because I knew it wasn't that, especially undergrad, I kind of like flagged that it wasn't, um, that it, oh God, I, I, t- I teach undergrad, I shouldn't say this, but it is, it is pretty, um, <laughs> it is pretty like down the line, like they're not trying to trick you with, with what they want you to teach, like they do want to re- you to regurgitate sort of what they've said. So I kind of like figured out, I kind of scammed the system, like figured out what they'd want me to say. And then the last year I was like, mm, I think I want to like, keep going like do a PhD or something so I was like well I better pull my socks up and then I studied and then I did better just in the last year of, of my uni. So what were your grades like just sort of kind of getting by? You were smart enough to have really good grades? Yeah so I did um hold on let me think so like in the first two years I think I had like maybe a credit average which is like just below a distinction so like a good a good grade average but that not like fantastic but it was pretty good considering that I wasn't really Mm -hmm. going to class or anything and then my last year Mm -hmm. I got like a distinction sort of average which was enough to let me get into a PhD but like if I hadn't pulled up so what 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 does that mean oh sorry I was trying to think about the way to describe so the last year you did really really well not really really well but pretty well like I didn't get a high distinction average I got a distinction average I'm trying to think how to convert it because I can't remember what the U.S. um, equivalents are. But, yeah, I did pretty well, like in the top 10 percent, maybe. Okay, yeah, that's pretty well, Amy. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah, imagine I do think about like what what would have happened if I'd actually sort of studied. But anyway, 
I was happy that I'm really, really happy that I learned way more. I always tell my students actually, which I, again, I'm probably a terrible supervisor because I, I tell them like, you can learn so much more from life, like, like than you can from studying, which is true. Like I think some of the experiences that I got during undergrad, like, like I played a lot of pool, for example, like snooker, you know, and, um, that tells you a lot about like <laughs> physics and <laughs> angles and stuff, I think more than, than the, the dry maths of it. I don't know. <laughs> well, and then we all learn differently too, right? So you kind of have to figure out what's your learning code. Yes. Yes. Definitely. I'm like elbows in, get in there, experience stuff. That's the best way. Which is why I guess just reading textbooks the night before is sort of like a cop out. It's probably the most efficient way of doing things, but it's not pleasant. So why did you then decide to go on to graduate school? I think I didn't know what I wanted to do. A lot of the people I, I sort of like was joking about, um, Paul, but actually I met a lot of cool mathematicians and physicists through that, like older guys. And a lot of them were in doing their PhDs. And it just sounds so cool because it's your own project. You're completely in, in your own field. Like no one else in the world is working on the same stuff as you. You know what I mean? So it just sounded like a really cool thing. And then, I don't know, I just had this like, I used to have this joke with my friend and I would be like, Let, let's be hot doctors before we're 25. Like just as a joke. Um, yeah, so those are the two major reasons, sort of a joke and because I could be my own boss and sort of do what I wanted to do. And what happened? I became a doctor at 25, I think. And, uh, I just sort of rushed through it quite quickly. I had a great time in my PhD. But did you discover what it was that you really, really loved? Well, do you want to hear the story about how I started working on antibiotic resistance? <laughs> yeah. The topic that I chose to work on for my master's and then my PhD is antibiotic resistance. And uh, I started working in salmonella, which is the one that causes typhoid, salmonella typhi. And uh, it's kind of cool because it's one of those things, you know, they say don't eat eggs because um, like raw because they might have salmonella in it. And that's because salmonella lives in the guts of like farm animals normally but when they get in humans they make a six so that's one of the reasons it's one of the biggest food to human um, transfer bugs so I was actually in Mexico one of my best friends she was doing a um a study abroad thing there and uh because she'd been living there a little bit she was very uh relaxed about where we can eat and what we could do so we go to this little cantina in Mexico City and we, I noticed that it didn't have any refrigeration. But anyway, we started eating <laughs> like some chicken tacos or something. And then oh, uh, the next morning, both my friends, although I thought it was a bit dodgy, that's right. And so I had the vegetarian one, but my friends had the chicken one. But I did try it theirs. Anyway, so the next morning, well, we did have a big night out that night. And then the next morning, we weren't feeling very well and <laughs> we started getting sick. And I just thought it was a hangover, but um, it turns out that it was typhoid. And we got rushed to the hospital and uh, like put on drips and my friends were like delirious and we were like, but I had to choose that day what I was going to do for my um, my project. And one of the projects on offer was uh, antibiotic resistance in, um, in salmonella. And so I deliriously sort of chose that. And then the, the story actually got crazy after that because they tried to like even like take out my friend's like appendix, like saying she had appendicitis, like for insurance scam and like. It was crazy. We had, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's why I ended up studying antibiotic resistance because it kind of like was a personal <laughs> experience. So you also struggled though, right? As a child with getting infections and you were always on antibiotics. Oh yeah. Wow. I told you that. Yeah, exactly. I've always been sort of, I've always, I think probably because I'm just always like playing around in the dirt or no, not that you shouldn't do that. I think it's very good for you to let your children play in dirt because it's good for their microflora and their gut. But, um, I, yeah, I was immune always, system, right? yeah, pardon? it's good for their immune system, yes, right? Exactly. Kids that grow up in the country are healthier. Yeah. And also exposure to animals is really important. So a hundred percent, I don't mean to give that impression, but anyway, I was always like sort of, you know, not the cleanest kid. I was always like, you know, playing in the street or in the dirt <laughs> or whatever. Um, but also just, um, 
uh, yeah, so I had many, many sort of infections. And I just thought at some point, like, if I didn't take antibiotics, like, I would be dead several times over. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And that in, I heard some projections that, you know, basically we have antibiotic resistant bacteria that can't be treated at all right now in the world existing. So if you get an infection from that, we can't treat you. And uh, that just hit home. Like there is a lot of press and hype given to COVID and I know it's a really big problem, but antibiotic resistance is sort of like climate change that we can see. It's going to be a massive thing, but it's sort of on the horizon and it's going to be, you know, a million times worse than COVID. It's, it's, it's going to basically unless we do something like right now, it's going to be very, very bad. So I thought I would sort of join that cause as well. Yeah. Without being too bleak. That's terrifying. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons that I like try to make new antibiotics now instead of just look at resistance because it started getting depressing. So um, now I try to make new antibiotics and try and Mm -hmm. solve the problems. Yeah. You know, that story is so interesting to me because We need to be connected to our purpose more than anyone, like just ADHD women is where I've seen this because so we're already going to feel like we're never doing enough. So if we're not living a life of meaning, then we're really screwed. And our best purposes are those that give meaning to our past. And so I find it so interesting that you struggled with infections. You were always on antibiotics. You know, you had that problem in Mexico. And then you Mm -hmm. became an infectious disease and genetics experts. And, you know, now you're seeking out these grants to develop new antibiotics and to study antibiotic resistance. So you connected the big picture and that that's what you got through all of, it sounds like these years of, you know, studying hardcore genetics. And even though you had trouble sitting in school, you had this extreme interest and you decided I'm just going to figure it out because it meant something to you. Exactly. I think that's one thing that I wanted to like point out is that even though it's sort of like going to the gym, although I hear that you like the gym, but like you kind of don't want to go, but you're glad you did it. It's the same. I I really think if people push through those sort of like, I don't have to do hardcore chemistry or hardcore math on a day-to-day basis. In fact, I can get people, I can delegate that to people now. And I want to, you know, like, and if you do have, if you think that something's really important and you have like a bigger picture like that, if you just push through those annoying or frustrating, maybe like technical things or things that you have to do a lot of detail, like pay a lot of attention to detail, things like that that don't suit an ADHD brain, if you can push through that, a lot of the time on the other side, once you've passed those checks, like now I do a lot of like creativity, like a lot of drawing or a lot of uh, the experimental design stuff is really fun. Um, it's very creative. And it's a lot of talking to people and bringing people together. Yeah, so I just, yeah, I really wanted people to mm, sort of consider, if they're considering science as a career, um, it's a a lot of writing as well, which I absolutely hated in schools. But (laughs) but it's funny that I do so much writing now, but it's not necessarily what you think it's going to be. So if you're considering a career in science, go talk to some scientists like some actual scientists that have passed the checks and are, you know, assistant professors or postdocs or even professors. Like most people will give you time if you just ask them. I'm a big fan of mentoring. Like a lot of the stuff that I've done have been under the good grace of some really fantastic mentors or people when I've said, for example, I want to work on this, but I don't think I can do it. You know, a mentor will tell you, Honestly, if, if you have a good mentor, they'll tell you how to do it or if you're capable or what you need to do to get there. So um, that would be, yeah, my other like piece of advice would be get a good mentor or several good mentors for different parts of your life or career. I love what you're saying. And I, I talk all the time about how what I have seen with ADHD women is we are all meant to lead. And when we struggle, it's because we're trying to follow, we're trying to fit in. But if we can find what we really love, what we're passionate about, where our extreme interest lies and lead in that. And then connect it to what you just said, that if you know that this is the big picture, this is what I really want to do, having that out there allows us to go through all the crap we need to get through, right? In order to succeed and get out on the other end. 
if we just stick with it long enough, because we yeah. do have that stick to it. Yeah. I think that I would have been like that in any field. Like I actually did the, and this is another thing. Look, I did my worst subject in high school is biology. And that was because I didn't like the the parts of the biology no. teaching. Yeah, it was. I, I, I don't like, learning about body parts or metabolism I mean actually I've worked on metabolism but like there's there's a very specific subset of things that you learn and biology was a lot of rote learning in high school anyway it's like learning about you know animal I mean I like I liked it I just it was too much rote learning for me and then when now I get basically do biology and I teach biology but I try to learn about the concepts behind you know like evolution is so interesting um, but of course, in school, you can't just do evolution. You have to do like the full spectrum of everything. So that is so interesting to me. So you are telling me that when you were in high school, you didn't even like what you thought science was. Oh, yeah, exactly. I tell you what, I liked physics a lot more than biology. And my best subject was actually business and math. And everyone thought that I would go into, you know, accounting or something and Honestly, just even in in a bit of a like you do as ADHD people, you just want to like do different to what people think you're going to do, if that makes sense. So I was a bit like, hmm, no, I'm going to do science, but not just any science. I wanted to do genetics. I'd been reading like a lot of sci-fi books and I thought that was cool. And then my second one was like engineering. And then my other one was like physio or something. Like I had very different, you know what I mean? Like. It wasn't like I was like, I'm going to be a scientist. It was like, I'm going to be a geneticist or an engineer or, do you know what I mean, like more specific than just general scientists. So what you're saying, and I mean, I think about this a lot because I just hated science and I didn't Mm. like math either. Mm. And my plan was my father's a dentist and so I was going to go to dental school until I went to my first year of college and almost flunked out, right? And so I had to choose a different major. But today I think that if I could have studied the brain, certainly knowing what I know now and having, you know, this interest that I have in how our brains work, I actually think I could have done it because there was this end goal. But at the time, you know, I just knew science and math as what we had to study to get through to the next parts. And so my question for you is, I mean, it almost sounds like you can't even discount anything. I mean, I guess because I really did not like math and did not like science. I found it boring. So what would be your advice to young women that are trying to figure out what it is that they want to do? Yeah, exactly. Like neuroscience versus even like I'm actually in the chemistry department where I am and like I don't know anything about chemistry no that's not true but I you know what I mean like it's you you, (laughs) I'm sure you do and I don't I'm not a big fan of dry chemistry but what I do like is when I can if you I've worked with chemists a lot because they make it's really important to like know how to 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 know how to make antibiotics or whatever you want to do you need a really good chemist but like you said I think you've said many times during a podcast like once you get to a certain stage you can delegate out the bits that you don't like or you're not good at so it's just about having enough understanding that you can talk to people and that you know what's important so getting like an overall picture is much more important just because I again I'll yeah I, I pretty much said this before but like just pushing through those subjects that are sort of just tick boxes like you know first year math first year physics if you don't like it, it doesn't it has no bearing on whether you will like. I the only the thing that I would recommend is everybody try. If you have a big question or, or there's something that you want to answer, like change the world, like you're saying, for example, if you thought that you could add to the field of ADHD, maybe you should go do a master's, Tracy, in um, <laughs> neuroscience or something. But then just push through those things because when you get there, you can tailor, you can make your job what you want, just like any job. And I think academia is very much like starting a business. When you're starting your lab, you're hiring people, you're choosing the direction you want to go in your niche. Like you've got to find, you know, your target market, like all of those things you sort of need to do, which suits ADHD people really well. 
because you don't have to report to anyone. I'm sort of officially hired by the government. I pay myself and then I sit in the university. You know what I mean? So no one's checking what I'm doing and I have complete autonomy. So most people think that scientists just work in, I also don't work in a lab anymore. You know, I do mainly computational stuff, which means like data analysis on the computer. I do have three labs. I actually have a caterpillar lab with a whole bunch of caterpillars, which is fun, but you can make it what you want. You know, it doesn't have to be dry. It doesn't have to be boring. So just push through it. If you have a big question that you want to You said something so interesting, and I've just never even considered this. You said science is creative, and I've always thought that science is the absolute opposite of creativity. So talk more about that. I'm fascinated by that. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that that was one thing that sort of shocked me. I sort of fell into this career, and it, like, worked out really well because I can sort of exercise all of the different parts of my brain that is pretty fully functional. So, for example, when you're writing research papers or grants, you're basically telling a story. Like you're basically saying, look, this is the problem. This is how I think I can solve it. And so, yeah, you're basically storytelling and convincing people that this is an important thing to invest in. The cool thing is that you're finding out things for the first time in the world. Like you are making new information for the whole world. And you're constantly working in the unknown. So like, for example, if you're looking at like, what is the gene that encodes this? What is the most important metabolic pathway here? And nobody knows. And you don't even know if you're right, but you sum up evidence and present it and sort of piece together a jigsaw puzzle. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Like literally, I feel like I'm working on puzzles all the time, which ADH people love, right? And then the other thing is, like, there's a lot of drawing, actually. I have a gram with engineering, for example, and, like, we can't speak each other's language. I don't know what the hell they're saying, but we draw a lot, you know? Like, I want to make a thing that looks like this with a hole in it here, and can you make something fit through here? You know what I mean? And it's just so cool. It's so fun. It's like, but and then also, like, literally having to make, like, publishing quality figures like diagrams so you're constantly making like pictures and drawing like there's so much creativity oh my god and like for example the last like the most recent review I wrote I call it I called it microbiology's next top model like which is (laughs) you can just you can make and people enjoy it like I always love like funny titles or you know putting little almost jokes in there like you'll want to entertain the reader scientists are people too like they want to be entertained when they're reading you know, so all of those things, I don't find science dry at all. I find it really rich. And even the podcast, for example, like, like I, I kind of was talking to my um, postdoc and we were like, oh, she was like, I, I wouldn't mind doing podcasts. I was like, I freaking love podcasts. Let's just do it, you know. And then we got a grant from the government and they just gave us money to like buy all this podcasting stuff. And we're just like, we're like, whoa, we don't know what we're doing, but we just did it, you know. So many different outlets. Once you're in science, you can you can do whatever you want. So on this Jams Pod, your podcast, are you interviewing microbiologists? What are you doing? Oh yeah. So like the idea behind that was just like I think again, like I think that scientists are really fun, creative people generally, or like microbiologists and like we like a drink, like we'll go out to the pub afterwards, uh, or like to a to a bar or whatever. And um, when you hear people talking about their research, everybody's so into their research. So, and and just is really interesting to hear about these bugs. And like, there's this total like microscopic world that's happening like underneath our noses, like all the time. Like literally, if you looked at your arm under a microscope, Tracy, it would be so interesting. Like there's so much stuff going on there, but you don't know about it. And like, I guess that's again with this ADHD thing, I learn a lot by talking to people. So I thought, why don't we take like, sort of microbiologists and chat to them in a really casual sort of way and so we called it getting to know your friendly neighborhood microbiologist and like some of the people are really cool like one of the girls <laughs> yeah like one of the girls like she works on chlamydia which is a really important pathogen and we should like oh, talk about it more yeah but she like throw. I was like how do you and she goes into schools and talks about chlamydia and I was like how do you break the the ice with that and she has these like little plush um, chlamydia toys and she throws them at people and then they catch it and she goes you just caught chlamydia like it's so fun I, I yeah I love my 
<laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, I work on like Manuka honey as well. I got on the, the one of the professors that works on that as well. Like just yeah. really fun people. Yeah. Yeah. My experience with Manuka honey is that I had a little bulldog. He was actually my son's bulldog called Buster. And at nine years old, he went doggy dementia and he attacked my foot and it was bad. I was in wound care for three months and they didn't use any antibiotics. All they used was Manuka honey. And it did its job. And I'd never heard of that before. So that's all we use now. Yeah, I'm really pleased to hear that. It's really good for wound care, not only for, um, actually, I I work, I'm actually writing a paper on it at the moment, like how the way, because we don't know quite how it kills bacteria, but it does, and they don't even get resistance to it. So it's super, super good for that. But also it helps the healing. It's just a really good, like you get less scarring. But the problem is people have sort of taken this and they think that you can just eat it. You can't eat it. You just got to put it on, like topically on the skin. Then it's oh, cheese. Yeah. So like I see it everywhere with like, I don't know, honey, Manuka honey baked ham in the supermarket or like Tim Tams. I don't know if you know what those are. They're Australian biscuits. Oh. Like with Manuka honey. I was like, no, you don't eat them. <laughs> just put it on your skin and then it works. Really well. <laughs> and people think that they're, they're building up their resistance by eating this. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, no. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. So getting out and talking about this sort of pseudoscience and clearing those things up is important, I think. Yeah. I like the little chlamydia things that you catch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Amy, Hmm. what are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success? So definitely hyper-focus. Hyper-focus has been a lifesaver for me because like I said, I didn't I was very much a last minute crammy sort of person. So like popping into hyperfocus and like being able to read a textbook in a night or like chapters of a textbook in a night or write. I wrote a lot of things very quickly. So like um, if I need to smash out a paper or a grant, I can do it in, you know, over one night, like pull an all-nighter or whatever, and then I just tidy it up later. So that's been extremely useful, although probably a bad crutch, you know, like <laughs> if I, I wish in some ways I couldn't do that because then it, it's mean I, it's, it means I've been terribly unplanned. Um, what else has been useful? Just like, I don't know, just like sort of curiosity, I guess, like having an open mind, uh, yes. not being afraid to talk to people as well. I love connecting with different types of people and I've worked all over the world and like, just really, um, you know, not being scared to talk to people. Cause I always think like, a sc- screw it. I'm like here once off like this, who knows when I'm going to be here again or when I'm going to have this opportunity, I may as well just do the craziest thing I can think of. Like I used to love going to like when I was in Cambridge or something, when you go to these fancy like leather, leather port nights, you know, port and cheese. And you can just like, you go talk to some like Cambridge professor and you just like, I don't know, make them laugh, like, or whatever. It's just like when you're there, don't just be quiet and not be scared to say anything or do anything. Like, just be yourself and, like, you know, do the best you can with the opportunities that you have. Like, don't be scared, basically, yeah, I guess. I don't know if that's an ADHD thing, but I definitely. And also just, like, I guess the other thing is just thinking differently, I sort of always thought when I was a little kid or whatever, I always thought there was something wrong with me because I thought so differently to other people. Do you know what I mean? Like not only the way I learned, but the way that I. How so? I'm trying to think. Like I remember one time like doing math problems and things like that and I would come up with completely different answers to people, which were right, but like way more complicated for no reason. Like it didn't make sense. Like I wouldn't get the easy answer. I'd get like some weird thing and the teacher would be like, that's wrong. And then my mom's a statistician actually. And so I would take it home to her and she'd be like, no, that's right. (laughs) Or like, you know, something like that. And so, but now I make a living out of thinking differently to people. Like I always thought that because I was thinking differently, it was wrong. But actually, if you think differently, that's an incredible gift. I literally make a living out of doing that now. And I know this because at my work, like, 24 seven, I'm thinking with people like we, you know what I mean? Like you're in the business of sort of thinking about things and learning things. And so now I see, yeah, that's an incredible gift and you shouldn't ever be scared or embarrassed about that. You should embrace it hundred percent. 
I love that. Do you have an ADHD workaround you can share with us? Workaround. Um, yeah. So the things that changed my life in terms of, so I was incredibly unorganized. And um, when I was doing my PhD, I realized that it was very hard and I couldn't just sort of cram everything together in the last minute as I had done in undergrad or whatever. So I um, got this spreadsheet. Actually, I saw like a psychologist because I thought I was going crazy. I was just like, I can't do anything. And then she was just like, oh, it just sounds like you have too much stuff like in your head. Why don't you try and this spreadsheet? She literally gave me, this is a long, this is like 10 years ago now. So like before all the apps and stuff, she just gave me a spreadsheet and it had three sheets on it. It had the first, like the day-to-day planner that had morning, afternoon and night. And then sort of the weekly goals and then the monthly goals. And I just brain dumped onto that. And that just like helped me. I don't know. It just like helped me a hundred percent just sort of get everything down. So, I mean, that's a really basic one. I know people have talked about it. The other thing that she did that I still do is when you're writing your calendar or whatever, you color up the kind of work that it is. So for example, if it's um, personal, uh, it can be yellow. I put like meetings in blue. You put lab work in green. You put writing in red and meetings in purple or something like that right and then you can get like an overview of like how much of your time per week is spent in each activity and then you kind of reflect like is that how I want that's that's also to help with like what life um work life balance to make sure that you're not like oh should I have like all meetings this week and I have no social life so yeah I don't know that's just something that I that I've done um but yeah just honestly I live off my calendar I have no idea what I'm doing during the day I know I have an incredibly booked day today but I don't know what I'm doing until I open it up um I also often will put I never ever ever late and that's because I will put on the calendar when I have to leave in the day or for you know what I mean or I'll I'll take screenshots of the train that I have to be on or what time I have to be if it's really important I write it on my wrist the time that I have to leave not the time I have to be there the other thing that I was going to say is I've always practiced like quite a lot of like mindfulness and meditation so I've done that my whole life like when I was a little kid I had insomnia and I used to stay up sort of watching tv with my mom or whatever And so early on, like instead of taking sleeping pills or whatever, like which I think the doctor wanted me to do, I started meditating even when I was a little kid. And I know that you have like a podcast on that, but I really would encourage people to look into it. It's not just sitting there and trying to not think. There's so many cool, interesting, different types of meditation that will work specifically for ADHD people. Like there's visualization sort of meditations where you go to a beautiful place and you really look at a scenery or whatever and you look at all of the incredible detail and you try to memorize it and then you can bring it back with you and you can go to that place anytime but also metabhavana which is like creating like loving kindness and thinking about um how you you want to send love into the world and you think about your friends but also people that you have any negative interactions with you try to cast uh, love onto them as well, which can be really, really helpful, especially as as we all know, um, ADHD people work much better with positive emotion around. So you can be, it trains you to be able to create that more easily, which is really incredible. So yeah, I would, oh yeah. And for that, I'd recommend looking up the Waking Up app. If you guys want to, um, yeah, that has a really good meditation, mindfulness um, course and it has different types of meditation like also coming out of your body yeah it's just really it's 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 not just boring there's so many different types you know it's 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 saying like I don't like sport there's so many different types you know so definitely explore explore the different types of meditations you can do and that's called the waking up app yeah yeah it's free for a month so try it and if you like it you can you can purchase it but um yeah it's it's a good starting point or I just like also just yoga. Yoga meditation is also really helpful because it's moving. I'll put the waking up app in the show notes. Okay. So Amy, mm-hmm. where could people get in touch with you if they have any questions? Uh, yeah, I can leave my um, Facebook link or my, uh, my email I can give you. And you can put it in the show notes. Especially if anyone wants to sort of, ask about 
science and like if they think that I don't know I just want more people to think that they can do it because it's really really fun (laughs) and you told me that you specifically want more young women to consider science especially young ADHD women because I think we've been led to believe that oh my gosh if you have ADHD you can't possibly go into science you can't possibly go into math and that's ridiculous all of our brains are different yeah exactly you know it's like one of those things where you like put on the goggles or you take off the goggles I don't know And then when you start looking at ADHD, like you start like recognizing it everywhere. I can see it all like in a lot of the top people around me and around like a lot of the professors and people in the university, they definitely have it. And it's because it gives you, yeah, this extra drive and stuff. And then there's, you know, there just needs to be more of a gender balance in science generally. Um, So I would definitely encourage people to be coming up now, like go for it. Come to the science world. Here, here. Mm. Okay. So um, in the show notes, I will post your Facebook link or your email, whichever one you give me. So if someone wants to talk to you, especially about science, if a woman um, who's listening wants to talk about science, that will be in the show notes. So Amy, I knew that you would be awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Tracy. Keep doing what you're doing too. Thank you. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Amy, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me a message there. Don't forget to sign up for my free five-day workshop, How to Fall in Love with Your ADHD Brain, at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash I love my brain. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.